Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Weigh-In Show. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOT. And this week, we're going over a UFC Vegas 55 card headlined by a bantamweight strap, or scrap, I should say, between Holly Holm and Ketlin Vieira. 40-year-old Holly Holm still trying to go out there and get the job done, maybe work her way back up to a title shot. Who knows? But she has Ketlin Vieira to get past this weekend. Very much looking forward to breaking down that main event as well as the full card with the guests that I'm going to be introducing very shortly to you guys. But before we get into that, I quickly want to plug the uh, the tape index here for you guys once again. I love plugging the tape index. Anytime anybody hears about it, they're like, where was this my entire life? Well, that's why I want to continue to remind you guys about the tape index. It's been a very successful service that me, myself and my guy Newsom MMA have been providing over the last three years now, two years, I want to say, I believe we started in 2019, uh, put it behind a pay one, uh, 2020. And it's been absolutely phenomenal being used by gamblers all over the world, being used by coaches. Uh, my guy, James Cross is very big on the tape index, considering the stable of fighters that he has, the tape index makes it very easy for him to research on upcoming fights. Not to mention, there's a lot of other people closely tied with the UFC that I can't really speak about who rely on the tape index on a week-to-week basis to get their studying and uh, you know preparation needs. So quickly, the tape index is pretty much a one-stop shop for everything that you guys need to research on the upcoming UFC event or Bellator or PFL or Dana White Contender Series. As you guys hear, we have prominently placed James Lynch and John Hyun Ko uh, as they are pretty much our interview uh, guys that we, we rely on and we add direct links to their interviews in case anybody wants to hear what a fighter uh, has gone through for the training camp, what they're doing and what their preparation has looked like for that fight as well. So just to give you guys a quick look into it for this weekend's card, we have Holly Holmes set up here for you guys and you guys can see direct links to all of her fights, although they're all on Fight Pass. It's pretty easy, pretty easy that you guys can find it there. But for the people in the States, there's a lot of issues in terms of ESPN Plus and Fight Pass. So we actually have both links available for you guys directly on that page. But what it's best for is the UFC newcomers, right? The Dana White Contender Series guys, the, the Bellator guys. That's where you guys are going to find all that information here. So let's just look at a fighter that's relatively new to the UFC. Urosh Medich. Uh, I know a lot of his fights were on Alaska FC, which is also on Fight Pass. But you'll be able to find direct links to that. Parker Porter, before coming to the UFC, we have a couple of his fights there. Jilton Almeida as well, a couple fights from earlier in his career. Dusko Todorovic, same thing as well. Chase Hooper, Felipe Kaladish, pretty much everybody that is newer to the UFC. That's where the tape index very much thrives. That's where we try to line up as many of their fights as possible. As you'll see here for Joseph Holmes, we got some of his amateur bouts uh, listed for you guys, as well as if it's in a a big event video will let you know exactly where to go to so you don't waste any time just clicking through and scrolling through. So uh, Tape Index has been a big, big help for a lot of people, and I want to continue to push it as often as I can. Shout out to the, you know, I don't even want to name the number right now because that's obviously business stuff, and Newsom might get on my ass for letting you guys know how many people we actually have on it, but it's very successful. Let's just put it that way. If you haven't heard about it, make sure you guys take full advantage. It's on the MMA Play 365 website. Just type in the tape index and you'll be able to find it. $3.99 a month. That is pennies for anybody that takes gambling seriously or takes their fight prep seriously as well. Somebody that I know for sure 
takes their fight prep seriously is actually going to be my guy that I'm going to be bringing on today. First time I've ever spoken to him, but I've gotten nothing but good reviews and he's very highly acclaimed. So I can't wait to bring him onto the show here. So let's, without further ado, let's bring him in. He is the co-founder of Occupy Fantasy. He's a DraftKings millionaire winner and he's just been taken down pool after pool, just prize picks after prize. Like this guy's killing it. That's why I want to have him on the show here. Let me introduce to you guys, my guy, Brian Jester. Brian, how's it going, my friend? Man, pretty what's up, man? I appreciate you having me on the show. I've heard great things about it. So uh, it, it's all my honor to be here talking with you, breaking down a card. Absolutely. Now, normally, you know, with my channel, we mainly just focus on betting, right? Money lines, over-unders, props, and all that stuff. But whenever I have the opportunity to bring in a guy that's established in the DFS world, I'm just gushing. You know what I mean? There's a lot of guys, even in my, uh, that watch this show after the fact in the in the live chat and all that, that love the DFS side of things. And even during these shows, I get DFS questions. And I'm like, you know, I know my way around the DFS world, but not like some of these guys that I'm going to be bringing in. And you're definitely a good representation of that. Uh, just to give folks a quick overview in terms of like a brief 30 second spiel in terms of what you like to implement with your dfs strategy is there any way that you can give these guys a, a quick synopsis of what your style is like yeah for sure so my strategy hinges on the biggest contest on DraftKings, the large contest with 20 30 000 people and oftentimes you'll notice that the winners of those contests have this a similar lineup or the same exact lineup and the first place prize is is split among you know maybe a couple people up to even 30 40 50 people sometimes but my goal is to find those unique cards where a bunch of chaos happens and the winning lineup is just a single person and so i focus a lot of time on my lineup construction and finding fighters that are going overlooked by the public and that has helped me as a result just from a macro sense get the most unique lineups every single time that i play these tournaments but it's also helped me win the top prize by myself four separate times so it's three 100k wins and then most recently hey. the 200k wins so it's a uh, it's a strategy that, that's been paying off for me uh in terms of uh the, the amount of entries are you a max entry kind of guy like do you try to take advantage of it in that aspect yeah absolutely so I, I really don't try to enter a contest unless i can enter the maximum amount of entries because most of the time you're at a disadvantage if if many dfs pros are entering the most amount of lineups that they can and you are not and that that allows me to employ my strategy to its fullest when i'm able to, to enter 150 lineups Perfect. I love it. I love it. I, I, I've had guys on that like to stick to like 10 lineups per mm -hmm. per pool or something like that. It's all how they choose to approach it, what their preparation entails, and obviously what they're most comfortable with doing. And you yourself is a, are a max entry guy, as we've just kind of stated here. So uh, we got an 11 fight card here to break down, Brian. Uh, in terms of your perspective from a DraftKings perspective, daily fantasy sports perspective, do you like the cards that are like 11 fights or do you prefer when it's like 13, 14, 15 fights? I prefer 13, 14, 15 fights because what ends up happening there, that's how we end up getting a lot of fighters that are on less than 15% of rosters, less than 10% of rosters. If you look at my 200K winning lineup a couple of weeks ago, I had a 10% fighter, a 6% fighter, and you're just not going to get that on an 11 fight card. And what also happens, this, this card is actually extremely similar to the Romanov card a couple of weeks ago where we have just a massive favorite that everyone expects to smash. And that, that fighter ends up in 50 five 60% of lineups and that becomes a key decision point of what you want to do because yeah everyone expects him to smash and he's probably going to smash but if you're playing some game theory then you have to figure out ways that if you play this guy how do I get different if I don't play this guy 
what does that mean for my lineup? So it's 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 a lot trickier for sure, and it requires a lot more thought than uh, than some of the bigger cards. I'm very much looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that Jelton Almeida and Parker Porter fight that you're talking about here. But we'll start off at the bottom of the card, as we always do. Kicking off the card, we got a strawweight bout between Elise Reed and Sam Hughes. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 150 for Elise Reed and plus 130 to return on Sam Hughes. Now, uh, Brian, I know we haven't really known each other for a long time, but one thing you'll get to know with me is I love women's MMA. I love betting on women's MMA, especially low-level women's MMA, right? You get uh, scenarios like Elise Reed's last fight where she comes in as a plus 200 underdog to Corey McKenna, who a lot of people expected to be Khabib that night, but she just was not anywhere near that. She landed three takedowns, got about three and a half minutes of control time, but for the better part of that fight, Elise Reed did a good job of getting back to her feet and just getting back to her bread and butter, which is her Taekwondo style of striking, right? She does a good job of getting in and out with her big strikes, landing effective damage, and then getting the judge's decision that night. So, you know, big ups to anybody that was able to cash on Elise on Elise Reed that night. But I feel like we're getting a, too much of a market overcorrection here with this line that she has against Sam Hughes. Yes, she'll be the better striker, but as an overall MMA fighter, I feel like Sam Hughes puts together her game much better than what we see from Elise Reed from her striking to her grappling to initiating the clinch to even getting the fight to the ground. I think she does a really good job of that. A perfect example is her fight against Vanessa Demopoulos back in LFA. And even though she lost a via inverted triangle, she was winning that fight pretty much up until that point by mixing up her striking and her grappling, getting this fight to the ground. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, this isn't Vanessa Demopoulos that she's going up against here uh, with uh, Elise Reed. So she'll have to worry about the striking a little bit more. But I do think she'll be able to put together a great overall game game here mixing in the clinch mixing in the takedowns and uh securing a decision victory so personally i have her as my dog of the night play i i really like her here i got one unit at plus 145 now the line has come down a little bit as people are starting to believe in sam page um are you on my side here what do, what do you think about this matchup and then ultimately again you're the dfs guy so i'd love to hear your perspective on that uh side of things as well well, I think we'll get along just fine. If you like women's MMA, <laughs> then, I, then, uh, then uh, you and I will be best friends because in, for DFS purposes, a lot of women fighters go way overlooked. And the big reason for that is just to, to give a little background. Most oftentimes, ownership in DFS is a direct, in, in MMA DFS, is a direct result of the Vegas odds and in particular, the knockout or the finish potential, right? And most of the time, the women's MMA fighters have lower finishing odds. Their, their odds to go the distance are much higher. And as a result, projections are lower on them and their ownership follows. But we see finishes, right, at a higher rate than what the field is rostering them. And we also see grappling heavy decision wins, which are huge in DraftKings scoring. So yeah, I agree. I, I'm, I'm always pretty much overweight on women's fighters in my lineup. And in this particular matchup, I, you, you have to like Hughes because I, she has a newfound wrestling, at least compared to what you may have seen in her first three UFC fights. And if you look at people who make projections, if they use any fight level data, there's no project there's no stats pre-UFC they only have what the UFC has to offer so the first three fights she didn't wrestle much but then she comes out of nowhere seemingly with five takedown attempts in her last fight and I was high on Nunez in that fight but it, another great thing is listening to the broadcast they talked about her working on her takedowns leading up to that fight and maybe that's game plan specific I don't know but you would think she would want to do that again here and that gives her a higher DraftKings ceiling than her counterpart so for me um <laughs> In our model, we, we model every single week, and, and Hughes actually ranks higher than Reed in our model, which is pretty rare for an underdog. So, yeah, you and I are on the same page. I think Hughes is a great DraftKings play, and uh, both of these fighters are going to be relatively low-owned. 
I love it. I, I love when I'm able to match up on the first fight on the first underdog with my guest as well. So that gives me a little bit more confidence going into tomorrow's card. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got 10 more fights to get through. We got Chase Hooper uh, coming back, finally taking on Felipe Kolaris. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 185 for Kolaris, plus 160 the return on the young gun, Chase Hooper. Uh, Brian, I'll let you kick this one off, man. What are your thoughts on this matchup? Is Hooper, is he still like 16 years old, right? At least he looks like that, right? <laughs> that's That's my first thought when I see him. <laughs> um, so, so the big thing here for me is, and I've talked about this on, on some shows in, in recent weeks, that for DFS, you're always looking for reasons that may add variance to the outcome of a fight. And for me, Kolarish is up a weight class in, in this fight, right? So we don't know behind the scenes what that means for his game plan, what that means for his training, what that means for his cardio, for his chin, anything. We don't know what that means. But for us as DFS players, and for me, someone who really tries to think about the range of outcomes rather than trying to nail a specific outcome, that lets me know this fight has a greater uh, range than we might typically expect. And I think the matchup here is interesting because we know Kolaris is going to at least historically, has attempted a ton of takedowns. We know Hooper wants to get the fight to the mat and attempt submissions. So I think from a, like a betting perspective, Hooper sub anytime he's on the card is probably in play. And in this particular matchup, it could and should go to the ground pretty early. And uh, as a result, our model likes Hooper a lot here. It's another matchup where it likes the underdog pretty favorably. And Hooper, in fact, is our highest ranked underdog on the card. The key is, can he get that submission? And our model is predicting, and I say our model, this is something we put a lot of work into, that it, the model believes that there's a good chance for this early submission, which would lead to a lot of DraftKings points. Wow. Uh, that, that's a that's a, a big statement there. But that is true in terms of if you do like the Chase Super side of things, right? The guy is really uh, reliant on getting finishes, locking up that submission, which is why he's gotten to the big show. You know, his, his striking is pretty much non-existent. But once he's able to get the guys to the mat, his jiu-jitsu looks phenomenal. And he's able to wrap these guys up in pretzels. But as the, the, the level of competition starts to get higher and higher, we're seeing it gets more difficult for him to actually lock up that submission the alex caceres had plus money against him i'll never forget that day that was probably one of the happiest days of my betting lives to get him at plus money against a, a kid like chase super then he bounces back with that peter barrett went good win for him there although he didn't look good for the first two and a half minutes of, or two and a half rounds of that fight before locking up that heog and then the steven peterson fight where we get steven Peterson roughly around even money from what i remember um you know, he mixes it up on the ground a little bit with Hooper as well and stays safe enough where he's able to, you know, land some damage from on top, but ultimately get back to his feet where he does his best work as well. Here with Kolarish, I think his jiu-jitsu will be good enough to kind of deal with what he's going to be get getting from uh, Hooper here. Uh, I think it might even look similar to another fight that we have later on uh, on this card with Poliana Vienna and Tabitha Ricci, where the more active jiu-jitsu player will be looking for submissions off their back, but likely will get thwarted by the submission defense of their opponents and that's what i'm expecting here from uh the felipe claris side i just don't have enough confidence to bet on him at minus 185 because he does get sloppy as fights start to get go start to go later and from anything that we've seen from chase super the kid doesn't get discouraged man the guy still goes out there and he'll shoot desperation takedowns he'll go for imanari roads whatever it is to try to get into the grappling realm luckily it paid off for him in the peter barrett fight it could potentially pay off for him here against Kolarish, who, like I said, gets too sloppy as fights get a little bit too too deep. And even when he strikes, he just strikes, you know, he over, overextends a lot, which will lead to a lot of ch level changes from Chase Hooper, who can likely land some takedowns. So from a DraftKings perspective, I understand the Chase Hooper love, right? Possible control time, submission opportunity, finishing opportunity. It's all there for him. 
But if he's not able to get it going, I do think he's going to struggle here with Clars on top of him. The pick for me is Clars as a prediction as as him winning. And uh, I, I do think he wins this fight by decision. Probably get some control time damage from on top. There's something you want to add, Brian. Yeah, and the thing is, both of these fighters rank in the top half of our model, which is an indicator that this is a fight that you want to target in DFS yeah. because of all the potentially potential grappling. So yeah, I agree with that. And uh, my my motto is always, it's not how often I'm right because I'm wrong very often, right? My my motto is, when I'm right, how much do I win? And that's yeah. the key. And that's how you win four unique lineups four times in two years is how much do you win when you're right? So you mentioned cars potentially fading down the stretch. I know you're more of a, um, a lower risk better with sides and totals, but what about like a round three Hooper sub, right? If, if he's, if he's in subs and you get a big number there. Yeah, he's he's shown he's done it in the past, right? And it's absolutely possible considering how much Clars does start to slow down. Not saying he like death gases like you right. know guys <laughs> that we've seen in the past, right? But it's still obviously live for Chase Super, and he knows that you know the public perception of him is not the greatest at this moment in time. So for him to go out there and get a dominant victory over Clars, that's definitely on his mind here. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how this one plays out. In terms of a prediction, though, like a actual winner here taking betting and DFS to the, to the side. Who are you going to be picking here? Are you going you picking with Hooper? Uh, let me see here. Give me one sec to look at one thing. And I'll say, yeah, um, let's see. We got Kolarish, 93, Hooper. I, I got to go Hooper. Hooper ranks higher than Kolarish in our model. So that anytime that happens with an underdog like Hughes, I, I'm going to side with that side. All right. I love it. I love it. Let's move on to the next fight here. We're, we're looking at Jonathan Martinez taking on Vince Morales in terms of odds. Minus 230 on Martinez and plus 195 for Vince Morales. Now, this show is called the ultimate weigh-in show, and that's due to the fact that we like to look at the weigh-ins and kind of just take that into consideration. Uh, and, and I didn't believe that I really had much of an emphasis to, to touch on for the first two matchups, but I feel like we need to discuss it for this one particularly because Jonathan Martinez has a history of kind of missing weight at 135 pounds, right? That's why he's fought at 145, I believe, at least two out of his last three fights. Uh, now he's back down to 135 pounds. One of the first five or six fighters on the scales makes 135 and a half pounds looks great on the scales while doing so hopefully this is something that he can continue to parlay from fight to fight coming in on weight looking good while doing it and then translating to a solid performance as well Martinez, in my opinion, one of my favorite fighters to watch just because of his style. He does a good job with his kicks from the outside, uses combinations well, uses his range management very well as uh too, just so that he can get those combinations off from the outside, see the counters coming from his opponents and get out of the way without taking too much damage. Unless your name is Davy Grant and you you know find yourself uh, staring up at the ceiling after getting hit by a big shot by him. But we know Davy Grant could definitely pack a punch. He showed it off in his last fight as well against Luis Smoka. Speaking of Luis Smoka, first time he ever got knocked out was by Jonathan Martinez's opponent, Vince Morales, uh, tomorrow night. So uh, Morales, not notorious known for not notoriously known for his knockout power, I should say. Uh, but he showed it off last time against Luis Smoka. But I I think it's more so of a flash in the pan for him. I, I really don't think he's that great of a fighter. He has decent striking, you know, he showcases good combinations, good boxing, but when he deals with the fighter that has more tools in their toolkit like Jonathan Martinez, I think he starts to struggle there. And I think we'll see that here. We saw him lose the Benito Lopez fight strictly off of leg kicks, although a lot of people scored that fight for Vince Morales. You know, I, I could I could see that. It was pretty much boxing against kicking. Uh, but I think we're going to be getting kickboxing here from the Jonathan Martinez side. 
rather than just the kicks. And last thing I'll say about this matchup, same training camp as Chris Gutierrez. We obviously saw what Chris Gutierrez was able to do to Vince Morales, forcing Vince Morales to sit out outside of the cage for a, a long time after that fight due to the damage that he took to his leg. But, uh, you know, I don't think Martinez will follow that exact same game plan, but maybe take bits and pieces of it because I know their headmaster, Mark Montoya, is an absolute genius when he's able to craft these game plans for his fighters I think he's gushing over this matchup with uh, Vince Morales once again. I think we see uh, Martinez pick him apart, you know, get up there with significant strikes and take home, you know, a, a decision victory, a, a classic Jonathan Martinez victory. So I, as a better, I, I place the chalk on Martinez, man. I think he's one of the more reliable fighters to go out there and give us what we need. And unless Vince Morales truly has, you know, the uh, Thor's hammer in his hands all of a sudden, I really don't think that he's going to be able to find that uh, big shot to put Martinez out here. So give me Martinez, Martinez by decision. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think that's the most likely outcome. I really don't have much to add to what you said. In, and I think Martinez fighting style in the odds show this. It doesn't make a great matchup for DFS. Martinez yeah. has the lowest finish potential of any fighter ranked or priced above 8,500. And his ownership is going to follow that. So he's going to be one of the, the, the least popular options in that 9K range, which is always interesting just from a game theory perspective because it's a fist fight. Anything can happen. It's, it's an MMA fight, right? So that's the side that I lean on. This is going to be one of the lowest owned fights overall by the field. No one's really high on Morales. The field isn't going to be high on Martinez because of his finish potential. And uh, there's not going to be very much grappling, if any. And that doesn't lead to very good DraftKings scoring. I will say, however, that if you're playing on FanDuel, where significant strikes are more worthy, Martinez does rank higher in our model there than he does on DraftKings. So it's all about the site that you're playing. For yeah. me, and this is where a lot of people will end up sending me hate mail in my DMs the day after I win, it's if I win with someone like Martinez or Morales, who, I mean, we just talked about it here, there's not much upside to this fight, but I'm on the side of things happen crazy all the time in MMA and, and in sports period. So I'm going to have exposure to these guys and maybe more than the field will and just hope that I guess my hope is probably that this weight, this weight change is a positive factor in the range of outcomes for this fight. But it, it, all in all, I agree with you. I think that the most likely outcome is a, an easy Martinez decision. Sorry. You're saying you get hate mail after a winning night. Oh yeah. I mean, you saw the, what? you saw the, you saw the hate comment when you, you tweeted out today that you're going to be on the show with me. Some guy was asking about, you know, how did I know the fight was going to get canceled and, and blah, blah, blah. I, I'll and, say this about, I'll say this about my guy, Shark. I, I saw that message as well. I think it was more so that he was just like, oh, how did he manage to get it with that? I, I wouldn't have taken it as hate. Maybe you, you, you take it as hate because I'm not, uh, I'm not much of a DFS guy. Right. So I'm not sure if that, whether that was an insult or not. <laughs> I mean, that, that was, that was calm compared to some of the yeah. stuff I've gotten recently. Wow. So no, yeah, no, no, uh, no hard feelings either way. But yeah, yeah. When, if you win with fighters that aren't expected to score well in DFS, people will say, I can't believe you played that guy. It's like it, it mostly comes from UFC. Fucks. It mostly yeah. comes from yeah, it is. It mostly comes from UFC fans because they they, oh, they yeah. think they they can they can predict every single fight. So yeah. Uh as a side question, actually, what would you say is like your bread and butter in terms of DFS? Like what what sport would you say you thrive at the most? It was definitely football for a while, but once yeah. COVID started and I saw the big edge that that there was here in UFC DFS, I put a major focus on it. I've been obsessed with it for two years. And I mean, there's no denying that this this is my best sport right now. 
I love it. I love it. Uh, and just a quick answer here to Matt McPeak asking about the prop and you up show from yesterday. Uh, apparently the all-star guy hit with some sort of YouTube violation for that video. They <laughs> ended up taking it down. I'm not sure why they're working on it as we speak. Um, I did post on Twitter, uh, mine and Cody's three best prop bets. So you guys can check out my Twitter for that. But as soon as I find out that the video is back up, I'll get it back up for you guys and tweet it out as well. I apologize for that inconvenience. First time it's ever happened to me ever. So we'll see uh, if we're able to get that sorted out. And lastly, uh, just a quick question here for you, Brian, for my guy, Mr. Always Profit. Uh, do you straight bet MMA or do you just strictly do DraftKings? Uh, no, I just do DraftKings. I live in Maryland in the United States and it is not legal here yet. And uh, I'm waiting for that day. Uh, one of the guys I work with closely with my site, uh, Jake McIntyre, he runs MMADFS.com. We talk about bets all week. So I'm fully prepared to jump in once that happens. So just waiting on the, the legislators to get that rolling. I love it. I love it. And last question here. We'll move on with the show after this one. Gaming Wolf 87 saying, uh, what are your thoughts on DFS optimizers? Yeah, so I obviously use one. The one that I use, I worked with someone to build ourselves. We don't use one of the industry ones just because I think there are a lot of faults with industry optimizers. And there are faults with optimizers in general, I understand. Uh, but it's part of the game that we're playing. And I think if you don't use it correctly, it doesn't matter which one you use, that you're going to be in trouble. I do, and I spend a ton of time every Friday night and Saturday working with the optimizer to get the lineups how I want them. So I do use them. And uh, yeah, if someone has a specific question about that, happy to answer it. Perfect, perfect. All right, I'm seeing a lot of questions starting to roll in, but what we'll do is we'll keep the question aspect for that back end of the show. Let uh, let me and Brian get through the rest of the matchups here, and if we have do if we do have more questions, I'll be sure to address them later on in the stream. Um, all right, let's move on with the next fight here. Uh, so we're both on the Martinez side, not so heavy on it in terms of DFS uh, side of things. But for me personally, I ate the chalk on Martinez back at uh, minus 215 as a straight bet. Uh, really like him here. Do think he does work against Vince Morales. All right, let's move on to another Morales on the card. We got a lightweight scrap on the line. Omar Morales taking on Urosh Medic. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 140 for Morales, plus 120 for Urosh Roche Medich. Uh, Brian, I'll let you kick this one off, man. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, this is this is one of the eye-opening spots on the card for me because anytime I can fade an Alaskan scene fighter, uh, I'm, 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 I'm hand over fist. Hey, hey, did. women's MMA and now the Alaska FC fade? Where were you all my life, Brian? <laughs> Jesus. Man, the, the, you know, the things things happen for a reason, but the universe has brought us together now. And I didn't know, so you're, you're a big fade Alaska guy. Oh, <laughs> dude, I, I could build a house off of fucking Alaska <laughs> FC at this point in time. <laughs> all right, so you know what I'm about to say then, right? We got Medich yeah. off, off the Alaska scene. And this is an interesting fight, though, because because Medis never been in a fight that's lasted more than six minutes, right? And Morales is known as a decision machine. And his ownership usually follows that in DFS because they see all of his decisions. But we have two things working for him. We have another fighter moving up in a weight class here. So curious to see what that looks like and how that impacts the fight. But then, you know, guys who typically fight to decisions, if they fight worse fighters, they're more likely to get a finish than they were if they fight some of these other guys. So... It's interesting here to me, and this is the classic situation in DFS where you don't see it often, but it's it's always eye-opening, like I said, where the underdog is going to be more popular in DFS than the favorite is. And that's because, and that's clear, because if Medich wins, it's probably an early finish, yeah. right? Will he get that early finish? I don't think so. I, I'm going to be bigger on Morales here just because of the Alaska fade and because of that ownership discrepancy. If you see a favorite lower owned than an underdog, that's that should your 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 siren should be going off in your head that this is a spot that I need to play in DFS tournaments. 
Yeah, you're pretty much carrying the same sentiments as me here. I, Morales, I know he's getting up there in age. He's 35 years old at this point in time. Took his first ever loss via finish in his last fight against a much better fighter than Jonathan Martin or Jonathan Pierce, I should say. Uh, but like historically speaking, he's very durable. We saw him go 15 minutes with Giga Chikaze taking hellacious shots in that fight. Um, many fights before that as well. But like pre-UFC, the guy was a finisher, right? Like the guy went out there and got finishes. I believe it was his finish on the contender series, which punched his kid ticket to the ufc now i rate rosh Merich as you know the level of guys that he was fighting before coming to the ufc which should open up finishing opportunities for him here now don't get me wrong like rosh Merich is a glass cannon right the cannon <laughs> on the ephesus part where he's able to get the job done early if he's not able to though he does break and i do think that this is a spot where uh omar mirage can take advantage of that and get his first finish in the ufc and I completely understand your train of thought when you're talking about like, you know, people kind of shy away from guys that are decision machines inside the UFC, but it all depends on styles, right? That's yes. what it comes down to at the end of the day. A perfect example that I'd like to lean on that I've been leaning on all week here is Sajara Eubanks. You know, she wasn't really much of a finisher until she fought Elise Reed, but the skill discrepancy on the mat was so wide there that I knew a lot of people were going to be on the uh, inside the distance because Sajara Eubanks is a high level black belt. She just doesn't really get to show it off again fighters that are her level or higher which is what she's been facing and which is why her you know record is kind of salty I'll, I'll give it to her it's really not the greatest but when she fights Elise Reed who's not that great on the ground she's going to be able to get the finish so same thing here with Omar Maraz great kickboxer has a ton of power in his hands as well I think he'll be able to show it off here after he uh you know, walks through the early fire, which is inevitably going to come from Arosh Medic, but I think he picks it up as this fight goes on and gets him out of there. Personally, as a bet, I love the under two and a half at minus 160, minus 170 range. I'm all over that. I've loaded up on that. I think it's the best bet on the card, honestly. Um, I think we're going to get violence in this fight. And a big part of that, the big variable here is the Arosh Medic side of things. So give me Omar Morales, I think he gets his first finish inside of the UFC. I think this is a steal of a line on him on his money line as well at minus 140. And I think a lot of that has to do with him getting finished in his last fight. But I'm I'm all over Morales here, specifically the under two and a half. And it seems like my guy Brian is as well. All right. Let us keep this train moving along. Next up, we talked about this fight earlier on the card, uh, or, or sorry, earlier in the uh, podcast, Parker Porter taking on Jilton Almeida. In terms of odds, we got minus 600 on Jilton Almeida, plus 450 on my guy, Parker Porter. Brian, I'll let you kick this one off, man. How do you think this heavyweight matchup goes down? All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give a, a little anecdote here, right? So Louis C.K. has a joke, and I'm I'm not saying anything about Louis C.K. the person, the comedian, or even the quality of this joke, but this joke always pops in my mind because I've seen the clip before. And anytime we have a matchup like this, this this joke pops into my head, and the joke it goes along the lines of something Louis like, you know, there are things in the world that are very. Uh, very one-sided. Everyone believes one thing because it's for the good of the world. But there's like a little messed up part of my brain that thinks, well, maybe we should do the other thing, right? And the example he gives is like kids with nut allergies. And yeah, yes, kids with nut allergies should be protected. Yes, we should watch what they eat. Yes, we should put warnings and have, have labels. Yes, we should save them if they go in an anaphylactic shop. But maybe maybe we shouldn't and maybe maybe uh we should let that gene die out so no one's allergic to nuts anymore right that's the, that's the theme of the joke but that but maybe that's me every time we have these massive <laughs> favorites on a card and there's a huge underdog that no one's going to play in dfs like yes almeida should crush porter yes he's a future contender yes porter is huge yes porter doesn't look the part yes porter has a poor resume but maybe 
But maybe <laughs> Almeida doesn't last into the third round and Porter can do something here to pay off his 10 or 15% ownership in DFS. So that's my thought, right? Everyone knows the, the deal here, right? This is how I, I feed on chaos and DFS. The most likely outcome here is Almeida absolutely runs through Porter. Porter gets his check and they move on to the next fights, right? But Almeida's up at weight class. There is a, a massive weight difference. Almeida has only seen one round three ever. He lost that fight. So it's not your typical minus 670 favorite. Obviously, there's a huge skill discrepancy here. Uh, but man, Preet, but maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I love that you're making a case for my guy Parker Porter because again, another guy that I'm a fan of just because of like, you know, people don't expect him to win, right? Like he goes up against guys like Josh Parisi and as a big dog, he goes up against guys like Chase Sherman and people expect him to get knocked out, but he just keeps getting it done. I was actually in attendance when he beat uh, Chase Sherman that night at the Apex okay. and it was fun. It, it was so fun being the only guy cheering for Parker Porter out of the 50 fans <laughs> that were in the Apex that night. But Real quick, how, how was the Apex viewing experience? I've always Bro. wondered seeing that worth it you you want yeah. yourself a couple hundred grand on dfs <laughs> you might as well put it towards an apex experience man <laughs> you should absolutely go it's something that any mma fan should experience at least once in their life sick okay, yeah. you'll have fun open bar you know you can do whatever the hell you want there it's great you can walk and mingle with you know fighters that are walking around and stuff it's it's amazing totally worth every single penny that you're going to be putting down on that so please do make sure you go out there and and document it as well throw it up on Sick. your ig whatever the fuck else and uh i'm sure you'll enjoy your time there um but yeah i, I do agree with you uh, i think park reporter could pull this off if this fight does go later if his durability is able to hold up but man jilton almeida i just feel like the thing that he has over josh parisian the thing that he has over chase sherman the thing that he has over alan baudo is that he's just that a he's lot good. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, exactly. He's good, but he has the he he's explosive, he's quick, and he's powerful. And I think that's the difference. That's why Chris Dawkins was able to get to the chin of Parker Porter and put him out. Like he doesn't look like he's like that, but one thing that we've known with Chris Dawkins, great hand speed, great movement, uh, and, and solid power once he's able to connect on your chin. And I think that's what we're gonna be able to see here from Jailton Almeida. I don't think was see him go out there and try to grapple because obviously you got a 41 pound weight discrepancy that we're going to be seeing that was obviously the weigh-ins this morning i believe jilton came in at uh 223 pounds uh 264 the return on uh parker porter so why waste your energy trying to drag a big big dude to the ground when you will likely be the faster opponent and have more dynamite in your hands find that chin of parker porter put him out the spot that i was looking at from a betting perspective jill tenomeda ko round one is roughly around plus 650 and plus 800 depending on where you're looking at it i think that's what the stab here and even the the ko prop strictly is like plus 350 because they expect him to go out there and go for a submission which is sitting at around minus 145. i don't really agree with that i think that we'll see him actually try to use the dynamite in his hands like i said try to find that chain of parker porter and put him out here the fan of me is hoping that parker survives it so he can go on and win this fight and continue this winning streak that he's on and also as a prop parker porter by decision plus 1400 worth a little bit of a sprinkle but uh, yeah, I, I think Jelton gets it done. I think he finds that chin, gets him out of there. It hurts me to even say that, Brian, because yeah. I love guys. I like, I love him. I love Jake Collier. I like those kinds of guys. Yeah, you know I mean, oh, yeah, me too. And to see to see uh, to see him go out the way that I think he's going to go out this weekend, not not a good look. So, uh, in terms of a prediction, I'll go Jelton first round KO. My guy Brian's going to be looking to mix in Parker Porter into some of his lineups, try to get some uh, you know spots that people aren't really looking at, and I think that's a great strategy, right? Why? be with the rest of the, like i hate calling people sheep but you know what i mean but like why be with the rest of the sheep when the name of the game with dfs is be unique 
that's how you end up getting first place. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Parker Porter in your optimal winning lineup if he does <laughs> manage to survive that first round. But uh, yeah, prediction, Jilton Almeida. What, what are you going to go with prediction? You going Jilton or are you going to go Parker? No, I'll go Jelton uh, round okay. one. I, I like your KO call, and and that that leads me to just one quick point about this fight. And if you're playing yeah. DFS, this is something that is probably the most important aspect to think about. Is especially when you have a fighter like this. Almeida is going to be the most popular fighter on the card, even more popular than the main event fighters, which is rare to get. He's going to be 55, 60 percent, 65 percent, maybe in smaller contests, even higher. So the the thought process you have to have in your head is if I play him. We have to think about what other people are going to do with their lineup if they play him. So if you do, if you decide to play him, you think there's a spot he cannot fail. Sure, I understand that. Then you have to do something different with the rest of your lineup. In the largest contest, 20,000, 30,000 people, you have to think, how does Almeida fail in this spot? And the thing is, if if you're right, man, pre and he doesn't grapple, and he just goes out there and strikes, and he gets a round one KO, and he gets it, you know, two, three minutes in, maybe a knockdown, that's like 102 points, 105 points, which, yeah, that's a lot of points, but he's the highest priced fighter on the card. If there are other fights that go off, 105 points at 9,600 or whatever he is might not get, get there in the optimal lineup. Now, and that's not even including the rare scenarios where he loses this fight. So you just have to think about how does someone fail. It doesn't necessarily mean that they lose in DFS. I like that. I like that line of thinking. I look at look at me sitting here soaking in this DFS information and getting better at my game, even though they just didn't. I, I believe they stopped allowing it here <sighs> off in Ontario, so that really really sucks. But hopefully one day we're able to get back to it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel for my Ontario content creators who are no longer able to do DFS. Shout out to my guy Gordo Gambles as well, who's going to be suffering from this. But uh, yeah. Whatever. At least we got some solid books that we can finally place bets on. Shout out to FanDuel. Shout out to BetMGM and those types of spots. But it's a step in the right. It's like taking two steps forward and one step backward, essentially. Yeah, it's good for Thanks you though, me. right? You're, you're a betting guy, so it's good exactly. You got, you got more options now, more bonuses. So exactly, more props, especially. I love oh, yeah. I love those no uh, decision, no bet props. Like I love betting on stuff like that, yes. where like I'm expecting a fighter to win inside distance. If they don't, I get a push if it goes the full fifteen. So. Perfect, perfect, perfect. All right, let's move on to the next one here. This is the prelim headliner. We got uh, ugly man Joel Holmes going up against Alan Amadovsky. In terms of odds, we got minus, uh, let's say, minus 195 on Joseph Holmes, plus 165 the return on Amadovsky. Um, ugly fight, right? Like ugly man Joel, this is an ugly fight. Like uh, Joseph Holmes trying to bounce back from uh, the debacle in his UFC debut against Jamie Pickett. I believe he came in as a slight favorite in that fight, ended up dropping the ball there. Uh, his cardio just did not hold up at all. Jamie Pickett was able to put up a lot of resistance, which made Joseph Holmes work a lot harder than he's used to working, hence why I believe he started to slow down in that fight. Uh, here against Samadovsky, he's going to have a huge size advantage. We saw it at the weigh-ins. Uh, he's a much taller fighter. I believe he has a four or five had advantage as well as a six inch reach advantage but when you look back at the regional tape on joseph holmes that's how he gets his success is being the weight bully essentially he's able to get his opponents to the ground control them for a little bit find that ground and pound find that submission and get them out of there quickly and just as we know as you start to take steps up in competition like chase hooper from earlier in the card it gets harder and harder to do that against your opponents luckily they're giving him a, a big step down here in Alan Amadovsky, who, you know, he's been out of the cage for close to two years now. Uh, the last time, maybe even three years, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and uh, the only, uh, sorry, his last loss comes to John Phillips, which was the only win that John Phillips ever had in his UFC career. 
Amadovsky went out there and gave John Phillips the exact fight that he wanted. He paid for it immediately, getting knocked out cold. The fight before that, he gets out grappled by a striker in Christoph Jodko. Now, let's give Jodko some props, though, because he is really rounding out his game at American Top Team. He's starting to mix in grappling, as we saw in his Gerald Mearshart fight. But that was one of the first fights where we saw Jodko really... Uh, go after the grappling and try to control his opponents. I think it had a little bit to do with the fact that Jotko got knocked out in the fight before that, so he wanted to play it safe, especially against a big hitter like Amadovsky here, but still not a good look for Amadovsky, in my uh, opinion. I do like Holmes here. I just can't fathom paying the chalk on a guy of this skill set. Uh, I do think he drags this fight to the ground. I think he gets some control time, and I think he gets him out of there. I don't think it happens in the first round. I think this gets dragged into the second, maybe even third round. Because Amadovsky, a little bit difficult to put away, as we saw, obviously, in the Christoph Jotko fight. But I do think that Holmes will be able to wait bully his way to a win here, probably get a later finish in this fight. So give me Joseph Holmes. Give me the over one and a half. That's kind of what I'm leaning here as a, if you're forcing to make a bet here. But uh, I do think that Holmes eventually gets his hand raised. Uh, what are your thoughts on the slop fest of a fight? Yeah, that's the perfect description for this dude. <laughs> uh, perfect slop fest. I mean, Holmes is in from an historically situational spot, right? The perfect plus EV situation where he's in his second fight. He's made his debut. Now he's had time to work on his game. Guys in their second fights typically perform a lot better than the money line suggests, than betting odds, than DFS salaries suggest. So you got like Holmes there. And he's fighting a guy off a long layoff. And Holmes has a massive age advantage and, and a size advantage. So like all the advantages are in Holmes' favor. The issue is he's going to be very popular in DFS. Like people see that. But like you said, it's a low-level fight. Things can happen. Uh, so uh, going back to the but maybe, but maybe, I, and I can't even like really come up with anything else here. This is one of those situations where you hope that it's a low-level fight and some crazy shit happens, right? Because Amadovsky is going to be the second least popular option on the entire card. And he's only, and I put in quotes, only plus 160, which indicates that he should win this, this fight a decent amount of time, no matter how much we think Holmes should dominate him here. So just from a pure odds of winning versus what DFS ownership is telling you, you have to have exposure to Amadowski. But I mean, this is a situation that's, that is not great for him. And it's not something that I'm super excited about. And also that's the reason I'm not too excited about this card from a DFS perspective is because we have guys that are in such smash spots that our model also aligns with. And when that happens, we typically end up with a lot of duplicated lineups near the top. So I don't know, man, I'll be, I'll be rooting for some chaos, but I, I like the way you broke down the fight and I agree with it. Yeah, Amadovsky knockout probably is best way to win this fight. I probably the only way to play it as well if you're looking to uh, to play the Amadovsky side. And again, uh, from a DraftKings perspective, this might be one of those underdogs that could really uh, hurt some people, especially if he gets that first round knockout. All right. Let us move on to the main card here. But before we do that, shout out to the 110 live viewers that we currently have. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe below. And show my guy Brian some love as well. I do have his Twitter account linked in the description below. So you guys don't even have to type anything. Just open up the description, click that link, and hit that follow. I promise you, he will up your DFS game. And I'm sure if you guys are privy enough, you guys will go out there and uh, support his Occupy. Uh, sorry, I, I completely whiffed on the name here occupy fantasy there we go occupy fantasy uh, uh brand that he's been able to put together and that he has founded as well all right let us get to the main card here brian uh first fight on the main card we're looking at a 185 pound bout between eric anders and jun young park in terms of odds we're looking at minus 200 on the korean fighter plus 170 on the bama native eric anders now uh, i'll let you kick this one off first but i do want to no note that Eric Anders, man, it doesn't look like that weight cut is getting easier for him to get down to 185 pounds. The guy looked like 
shit. You know, I mean, as 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 nicely as I could put it, you look like shit on the scales. But he has looked like shit on the scales in the past and still comes out and performs. But you got to think that these weight cuts are going to continue to get harder and harder on him and will likely affect him in, in fights, especially against the guy here in Junior Park who is very uh, active and, um, you know, throws output, stays, keeps the pressure on his opponents. But, uh, Brian, please let me know what do you think about this middleweight scrap. Yeah, so so it's funny because Park's performance, I think it was against John Phillips, literally caused DraftKings to change their scoring system. It was back in 2020, back before they they used control time, before they used insignificant strikes, just regular strikes. Uh, they used advances instead, and everyone lost their shit when he just absolutely dominated dominated that fight and scored like 50 DraftKings points. And everyone's like, we have to change the scoring. There's no way that performance aligns with how many points he scored. So January 2021, we get the scoring system change. I love the new scoring system change, obviously. But uh, the, I like Park again here. He's very highly rated in our model, but he's going to be one of the lowest owned. He, he probably will be even lower owned than Martinez, as we talked about earlier, which I don't think aligns with his upside here. So that this is a huge spot for me. These guys that are in that 15 to 20% ownership range in DFS, but they're a favorite and they rate well in our model, these are the guys you go heavy on. And these are how you, these are how you win these massive tournaments because while everyone else is playing Almeida and Holly home guys like park, if the fight plays out, like our model thinks it should can score more than them. Even if those other fighters do really well, he can, he can be the highest scoring fighter on the slate and at 19% ownership or whatever, that's a spot that, you know, I, I fall in love with. So the, the other thing here is two veterans. So there's not really a ton of situational factors at play here. And that means the line is probably pretty accurate. So if the line's accurate, but the field is not on it, Hey man, give me some park. I love it. I love it. The one thing I'll say about Eric Anders is uh, the, the guy's probably not the most skilled, but he's very physically gifted. Yeah. And that's kind of allowed him to be successful and get to the point where he's at in his MMA career. Now he's on, a, I believe, a four and five run over his last nine fights. That's after he had lost that uh, fight to uh, Lior Machida main event spot way back in 2018. Uh, but yeah, very inconsistent fighter, not one that you can really bank on. From a betting perspective, I can understand why people might look at that plus 170 and might be like, okay, he could you know he can might he could probably uh out strength or out muscle uh junior park in certain situations like he did against darren stewart get a bunch of control time up against the cage and uh, maybe just win that way but i think park is too crafty to get you know wall installed pretty much here um so yeah give me give me some park as well uh I, i'm a little bit turned off by the price tag honestly uh sorry from a from a betting perspective minus 200 a little bit too wide in my eyes uh as park you know he's great he's a good all-around fighter he could still potentially drop the ball if this does end up being a clinch fest and uh, eric anders does get the better of him in those situations so uh park is the pick just as my guy brian is going to go with as well uh but just be very wary in terms of paying that chalk on junior park uh, from a betting perspective, even his friends aren't paying the chalk. They said, right? <laughs> so yeah. if his if his buddies aren't on him, I mean that that shows that the field's not going to be on him either. If his closest circle can't bet him at minus two hundred, you know DFS players aren't going to pay the price tag on him. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. I love that you inputted that there. All right, let's move on to the next fight. Here we got a straw weight belt between Poliana Vienna and Tabitha Ricci. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus one thirty five for Ricci, plus one fifteen the return on Poliana Vienna. Uh, again, another women's mma spot that i just keep salivating at but i just can't seem to pull the trigger on this fight uh very interesting fight between two black uh bjj black belts poliana vienna came into the ufc as a highly touted national jiu-jitsu champion and all that and then she just gets laid on 
by uh, JJ Aldridge for the majority of her fight. And, uh, you know, shout out to anybody that cashed that JJ Aldridge plus money that night. But Vienna, you know, she could be dangerous against girls like, you know, Molly Mart, uh, uh, Mallory Martin, sorry, why did I say Molly Martin? I was thinking, probably thinking of Molly McCann, but either way, uh, Mallory Martin, as well as Emily Whitmire, she can pull off submissions like that, right? But when she's dealing with people that are a little bit more well-versed with the jiu-jitsu and have good submission defense, I think she's going to struggle. Just like a fight that we talked about earlier on the card with Chase Hooper, I feel like this could be one of those spots where Tabitha Ricci lands takedowns, but is able to stay safe enough on top, staying out of submissions and just getting that control time, landing some good shots from on top, staying active enough that the referee doesn't stand them up. And uh, yeah, I think she just grinds this fight out over 15 minutes. Um, Vienna might be live to snatch a sub off her back, but I'd be surprised if Tabitha Ricci slips up enough to give her that opportunity to do so. Um, in terms of the striking, I think it's fairly even. You know, uh, uh, Poliana is going to obviously have a pretty big size and reach advantage in this spot, but she just doesn't have the most comfortability with the striking to fully take advantage of that uh, metric advantage that she's going to have here. So I, I do lean on the on the Ricci side. Uh, both women look to take the fight to the ground. I think it'll be Ricci with the better wrestling to drag this to the ground uh get that control time grind this out over 50 minutes give me uh Ricci via decision reaching money line doesn't look too bad but i'm not sure what it is in the depths of my gut i just can't seem to pull the trigger on tabitha Ricci. the over two and a half also seems intriguing to me here at minus 160 but Ricci's the pick brian I, i'm very intrigued to hear your thoughts on this one from a betting and DraftKings perspective please do let me know what your thoughts are here I'm glad you went first, dude, because uh, I kind of feel the same way, right? It's a tough fight to, to figure out what's going to happen. And for me, if I just if I look at absolutes, right? If we're looking at DFS, if we want to win a bunch of money, Ricci probably scores well through takedowns. Yeah, Viana probably scores well through a submission, right? Anything else, we probably don't see a huge DraftKings score in this fight. So that makes it tricky because, you know, like you said, will Ricci not get subbed? Will she attempt the takedowns if she's scared of the subs, right? I don't know what's going to happen there. But our model does like this fight a lot. And both these fighters rank in the top half of the model, which, as I alluded to earlier, is a great indication that this is a fight to target for DFS. I was a huge fan of Ricci coming into the UFC. Obviously, she had just the, the worst spot possible up a weight class, short notice yeah. in her debut. Oof. Right. I mean, that's just, that's a, a you can't win that spot. Right. So I was yeah. really high on her coming into her second fight, because if you look, if, if you have DraftKings game log watchers, people who use any fight level data are going to see that she doesn't project very well because of she had this impossible matchup in her first match. I will say she won the, her second fight, but she underwhelmed a little bit in my eyes. I was heavy on her. She didn't score as well as I thought she could have. But the upside's there because of the grappling. So I don't know, man. I think from a betting perspective, anytime um, uh, Pollyanna's on. on on a card and you can get plus 1000 first round sub like you got to take that bet every time and just know that over time that's going to be a plus ev decision from dfs picking one or the other i guess i would go to richie and our model does prefer her here i don't know man it's tough it's just i just got to hope it's not a stalemate and that the the ground game doesn't cancel each other out I love that you brought up the first round sub opportunity for Vienna because you're right. There are fighters that you have to recognize that even if they're not favored to win the fight, but they have a high likelihood of always winning the fight in the first round, they're worth a shot. Abdul Razak uh, Al-Hassan, perfect example of one of those guys. I think he was like plus 600 to win in round one against D. Carico, and I believe he was a plus 180 underdog that night. It makes no sense. Dude. Like, like how, how else, if his line is plus 180, right? How else does he win that fight outside of an early finish, right? The, the odds don't align there on a lot of these props for these guys and, that 
whether we got to take advantage of it. We yeah. have to take advantage of those situations. Not to mention another one that comes to mind is Otman Azaitar, a guy that goes out there and gets plenty of first round finishes. Uh, where's the bad guy, right? Or what's in the bad guy? That's that's what he is. But uh, he goes out there. He's uh, I think it was plus three fifty for him to win in the round, uh, first round against Kama Worthy. I was all over that. I'm like, he's more than likely going to clip Kama here, and more than likely he'll be able to put him out. Luckily, it took place that night. Hopefully, for my Tabitha Ricci lovers. It doesn't work out for Bolian at the end of this weekend. We'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, I'm Team Baby Shark over here. No official bet from me yet, but uh, I'll monitor that line, see how it moves over the next 24 hours and decide if I want to jump in on it or not. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got a, another middleweight fight on the card. Chitty and Kawani going up against Dushko Todorovic. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 260 on Angel Kawani, plus 220 the return on Todorovic. Uh, Brian, I'll let you kick this one off, brother. What, what are your thoughts for this one? Um, and what, what, do you, what are your thoughts in terms of the the correction on Chitty's public perception, right? He was a slight underdog against Marc-Andre Barrio, goes out there, starches him in 16 seconds, and all of a sudden he's a minus 230 favorite over a guy that used to be, you know, the chalk favorite in his fights. So what are your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it just doesn't make sense, right? It, there's there's no way for this line and for his DFS popularity not to be influenced by recency bias. Guy goes out there, USB de debut, 16-second KO. There's just no option, right? Anybody who does projections, anybody who bets is going to see that, and you're automatically influenced no matter how aware of your biases are, you are not, right? So you look at this, and uh, Chidi's going to be one of the most popular fighters on the entire card. He's right up there, not at, at Almeida levels, but he's right up there with Joseph Holmes as one of the most popular fighters. And for me... You know, unlike Almeida and unlike Holmes, where they rank super well in our model, Chidi doesn't rank as well. And from a DFS perspective, that comes down to, if you look at his pre-UFC tape, uh, I, at least what I found, mostly patient, right? Obviously, he got the early finish last time. But if he's not grappling a ton, which we don't expect a ton of, as long as this isn't like some fast firefight, he gets him out there early. If this goes into the second round, Chidi's not going to return value at his ownership and at his price tag. Now, Dusko has had some issues with his chin, right? So that that's the big thing. This is the ultimate fight for me where it's a no-brainer. I'm not going to play as much Chidi as the field will. You got to play some some Dusko just because of his upside and a finish. But this is the ultimate fight where you're under on one of the big favorites and you're just holding your breath for five minutes, maybe three minutes, and just hoping that what the line is saying and that people are jumping on doesn't actually materialize. Uh, I'm glad we're on the same page for this one pretty much, right? I, I think it's going to be very difficult for Chidi Anjokwani to go out there and replicate what he did in his last fight. And, and it was a big feat in his last fight, right? It was the first ever time Marc-Andre Barrio got knocked out. And I've seen that guy go up against legitimate light heavyweights in the past and take the biggest shots and continue to move forward. But Chidi just found that pinpoint accurate strike that was able to get the or turn off the lights of uh, Barrio and he gets the win that night. But, you know, that, that is kind of my concern with Dushko is a lot of his striking defense is based on him just just moving his head back and kind of utilizing that space and hoping that his opponent's hands don't reach his chin. But he's at a six-inch reach disadvantage here. It's going to be tough for him to truly get away with something like that. His striking defense needs a lot of work. So it is possible that Chidi finds that button, but like, is he going to find it clean enough that he turns off Dushko's lights as well? Because there could be a lot of times where Dushko rolls with those shots, doesn't take the brunt of the damage, and then is able to get his own game going after that. So the reason I picked Barrio in that last fight is because one thing I found that he was very good at was something that Chidi struggles with, and that specifically is the cage clinching, being pushed on his back foot. When you go back and watch the Bellator fights of Chidi, there's a lot of times where he just gets pinned up against the cage and very much struggles to get uh, get off the cage. 
I thought Barrio, who thrives in those situations, as he did against Abu Azaitar, against uh, uh, past opponents as well, I thought he would have tremendous success. Unfortunately, we didn't even get to see that fight start, right? It pretty much was over before it started. Uh, but I think Dushko, he has shown the same level of uh, efficiency in the clinch. If he's able to get uh, Chidi up against the cage and kind of nullify that range and and that free-moving style that Chidi requires, Dushko could have mad success here too. Control time, maybe even takedowns. And they showed in his last fight against Mackie Patolo, he has a nasty ground game as well from that top position if he's able to get his opponents there. So I would be stunned if we see Dushko just try to fight him at range here because he is putting himself on a silver platter to get knocked out. Otherwise, I think he can push him up against the cage, make this very dirty drag him to the ground and possibly find a finish on the ground so i'm leaning dushko here i do think he has a good chance of winning this fight the odds are just way off in my opinion it is a huge market overcorrection for uh you know something we can't really even take too much substance out of not often are you going to see a guy go out there and continues to get 20 30 40 second knockouts back to back to back and i expect uh i don't expect that to happen here with shitty as well so yeah give me dushko at that plus money. I haven't made the bet on him yet, but I think I'm going to sprinkle at least a half unit on him here just out of principle. This line is just whack in my opinion. So uh, give me Dushko. Seems like my guy Brian likes some Dushko as well, just to be a little bit different from the rest of the field as well, which is very much important in that game. All right. Co-main event time here. We got Santiago Ponznibio taking on the human highlight reel Michelle Pereira, in terms of odds, we're looking at uh, minus 140 for Pereira, plus 120 on Ponce Good God. A lot of action coming in on Michelle Pereira over the last 24 hours because the last time I checked that line, it was plus 105 for Ponce So a lot of people on the Pereira side here. Um, I can't recall, actually. Did I did I let you go first on that last matchup, uh, Brian? Uh, you know what? I'm a gentleman. I'll let you go first this time. All right. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go first on this one. Um, it's very tough for me to see Ponzinibbio as an underdog in the spot. Now, I get it. Hasn't looked the same after his three-year layoff that he had after the Neo Magni fight. Uh, I'm going to chalk up the Li Jing Liang knockout to him just getting acclimated back into the cage. You know, being out for that long and coming back against a heavy hitter like Li Jing Liang is a tough task for anybody. So he fell there. In his next fight, had a tough first round against Miguel Baeza, comes back in the second and third rounds, really turns it up, turns it up with the output, turns it up with the leg kicks, and is able to turn uh, his misfortunes around, gets the decision victory that night. And then in his next fight against Jeff Neal, loses a split decision. Now, a lot of people are saying that he's washed at this point in time, and I think that's a little bit of a stretch. Let's give the guy some slack, right? The Jeff Neal fight, people are disrespecting Jeff Neal now after he was a favorite against Wonderboy a couple years ago. I mean, not even a couple of years ago, less than a year ago, two years ago, I think it was. Um, so I think people discrediting Jeff Neal is now in turn discrediting what Santiago Ponzinibbio looked like in that Jeff Neal fight. I do believe Ponzinibbio lost that fight, even though it was a split decision loss. Um, but I still think he has enough to go out there and compete against a guy like Pereira. Pereira, since he's developed within the UFC and progressed in the UFC, we're seeing a maturity in his game. Not only is he not doing his flying and spinning shit as much anymore, he's relying on takedowns at certain points. He likes to go for takedowns later in fights and try to control his opponent because he knows his gas tank is, you know, it's 
it's not the greatest, nor is it the worst. But if he manages it correctly here, he can win a clean sweep over his opponents more often than not with that grappling. But I think he's going to deal with some adversity in terms of the takedown defense here from Santiago Ponzinibbio the longer this fight goes. Not to mention the leg-kicking game of Ponzinibbio. I expect that to impact the speed, agility, and explosiveness of Pereira, which is probably some of the best traits of his game. So if Pereira doesn't knock him out in the first round here, I do think he's going to struggle as this fight goes on, especially with the accumulative damage he's going to take from uh, Ponzinibbio in this spot. So now that the line is continuing to, to get wider here, I, I might be forced to take the Ponzinibbio stab here as I do think he's the overall better fighter. And as long as he's completely... Or sorry, as long, as long as he's not completely washed, I think he goes out there and shows us, you know, even 80% of classic Ponzinibbio goes out there and destroys Michelle Pereira, in my opinion. So give me Ponzinibbio, Ponzinibbio Moneyline. Interested to hear your thoughts from a DraftKings perspective on this matchup. Who do you got here? Uh, and what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think this is going to be an exciting real-life fight. From a DFS perspective, our model doesn't rate it very well, and it's 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 hard to envision some outcomes where there's a huge DFS score here. Uh, but there are some factors here that are pointing me to playing this matchup, and, and mostly the Ponzinibbio side. And the, those two factors are, one is, you mentioned the, the line movement. And so Perea, Perea is up, up to, what, minus 140 or so. Yep. And as a result, he is he has a higher likelihood to win, according to the markets, than the fighter that is priced above him in Tabitha Ricci. And he's close to Omar Morales, right? So pretty close. For those who are watching and don't do their own DraftKings projected ownership, they don't subscribe to sites, an easy way to figure out ownership is to talk about, to look at the, the knockout potential we talked about earlier, but also look for these quote-unquote mispriced fighters that their money line or their win probability doesn't add up with their DraftKings salary. So if DraftKings salaries were released today, Perea would be a couple hundred dollars more expensive. Right. So DraftKings players are going to see that and play Pereira more than they probably should. And so for me, those are the guys I'm looking to play less of in tournaments. Our, our model already says that there's a guy that we probably don't want a lot of. And I mentioned this on the uh, guest appearance I did last week. This $8,200 versus $8,000 matchup has a lot of benefits from a game theory perspective when you're playing DraftKings tournaments because one, they're obviously cheaper. Whoever wins this fight that is a cheaper fighter and they can easily fit into the optimal lineup with a, a lower score. That's one thing. If a fighter, if they score the same as a fighter who's 9K, that 9K fighter might not get there where these fighters might slide into the optimal lineup. Two, if you're like me and you like to play for unique outcomes and, and you like to play for solo finishes, playing these guys, if they do in fact go off and score really well, and they score higher than those priced above them, now you can save a bunch of salary in your lineup. If you leave $600, $700, $800, most of the field won't do that. That's how you get more unique lineups. So if you like Ponzinibbio to get a finish, or even if you'd like the other side to get a finish, you can leave some salary, play those guys, and the field won't be doing that. I like that. I like that. Um, but in terms of a prediction here as well, you are leaning on the Ponzinibbio side, or are you going to be leaning on the Pereira side? Again, betting and, and DraftKings aside, what do you like here? Oh man, uh, I guess I'll go. I'll go Michelle here on, uh, for picking a side, just because I think the grappling could help the decision in, in, in his favor. But from a drafting side, I'm going to have more of Ponzinibbio, and I know that doesn't make a ton of sense, but that's why uh, <laughs> that's why I'd like to think in range of outcomes. 
No, of course. I completely understand that side of things as well. All right. Let's move on to the main event here. Uh, but before we do that, shout out to the 110 live viewers. We still got it here. Appreciate you guys kicking it with us on this Friday afternoon, fresh off the weigh-ins. Uh, make sure you guys hit that like and sub subscribe. And then obviously, shout out to my guy, Brian, as well. Make sure you guys follow him on Twitter. Link is in the description below. And then uh, follow his Occupy Fantasy company as well, because they do a lot of great things in the DFS world. And uh, given how successful my man Brian is, I don't think you'd be doing anything wrong by uh, following what he's doing in his theories as well all right brian let's get into this main event here we got a women's bantamweight fight uh the ever veteran holly Holm minus 250 going up against ketlin vera in her second main event spot she's coming back at plus 210 uh i'll let you kick this one off man I, i'm very intrigued to hear your thoughts on this one holly Holm usually goes up there with the significant strikes she's really starting to round out her game with some takedowns and all that so what are your thoughts on this matchup who do you think wins and then give us uh your rest of the perspective on this matchup yeah, her performance from a DraftKings perspective was uh, unexpected last time that she fought. But there's two things in in, in uh, Vieira's favor here is one, home is older, right, much older, and she has a longer layoff. So th that's that's one thing, right? And that's something we always have to keep in the back of our mind when we're predicting fights. And I, I'm it's hard for me to be impartial on a Vieira card because literally last two times she has fought, I've won $100,000. I, wow. I faded the main event when she fought Misha Tate, and then I had Kunitskaya when, when she uh, edged out the decision against Vieira in that matchup. So... You know, I'm looking to, to to replicate that success on this fight. For me, we should see a slower pace here, right? And the the grappling is going to determine whether or not this gets there in terms of DraftKings scoring. And I'm looking at this purely from a DraftKings standpoint here. But the field's going to see that. One, we talked about the field doesn't like women's MMA that much. And no matter how much the field likes a five round fight, because this is the only five round fight on the card, the the women's the women's uh, MMA aspects takes control a little bit we're looking at total combined projected ownership here just 60 to 65 percent generally on an 11 fight card a five round card a five round fight we're going to see 80 90 percent total ownership so the field expects that the field knows that this should be a, a slower paced matchup and home is more likely to fail here because of her price tag and she's got to compete with the prices of almeida and park and those other fighters that we talked about at homes and uh even if chidi gets a finish so she's more likely to fail if viera wins for DraftKings, she's probably going to be in the optimal lineup. So from that perspective, I think it makes sense to play her more or to side with that side. As far as predicting a winner here, I got to be honest, because I just got into UFC two years ago. I don't know a ton of, of Holly Holmes outside of her most recent fight and just the highlights I see in her, her championship run. So I'm curious to get your breakdown on who's likely to win, and maybe that can influence my uh, my exposure a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I do like the Holly Holm side here, man. I, she's one of those fighters that even though she has cracked 40 years old, uh, you can tell that, she, you know, she has a great doctor. Let's just put it that way. You know, I mean, she, she's able to maintain that level of uh, athleticism and ability even at 40 years old. And uh, she showed it off in her last fight against Irene Aldana where she can, you know, stick and move and clean sweep that fight as well. I believe uh, she didn't even lose a round in that fight. She must have even gotten a 10-8 in one of those rounds as well where she's able to get the takedown and do some good work from on top. But notoriously holly Holm is known for being that you know staying on her bicycle staying moving and just picking her opponents from the outside but over our last couple fights the raquel pennington fight you see her engaging in the clinch a lot usually using her strength against her opponent and just controlling raquel pennington up against the cage and then in the irene aldana fight 
utilizing her striking and her movement and then utilizing grappling when she feels like it's uh, open for her to change levels and land a takedown. So seeing those improvements in her game is very promising, especially seeing her as a minus 250 favorite. She's clearly the better fighter here compared to Ketlin Vieira. Vieira more so thrives in pocket exchanges. She needs you to, you know, be willing to trade fire inside the pocket for her to have success. Misha Tate doesn't have that, you know, that those reflexes like Holly Holm, which is why she's getting busted up in the pocket when she does start to strike and, and actually throw against Ketlin Vera. I don't think Holly Holm is going to be there to get hit. And if she does, you know, the, there is the question of whether Ketlin Vera could knock her out because, you know, she is getting there up in age. But Vera is not much of a knockout puncher. That's the only way I see her winning this fight, though. Uh, stylistically speaking, she, she doesn't have great output. If I'm not mistaken, she's been outstruck in five out of her last six fights, even if she's getting the win. Uh, Holly Holm. She is a striking machine. She gets up there 100 plus strikes more often than not, especially in a five round fight. So uh, I'm expecting a classic Holly Holm performance here, stick and move, maybe land a couple of takedowns as well. Uh, I know Vieira has a couple of submissions off of her back, but I just don't think she'll be able to uh, get that advantage here over Holly Holm with Holm on top of her. So uh, yeah, I like Holly Holm. The only bet that I have in this fight is actually a Holly Holm by decision. I pretty much have uh, that at minus 115 to win one unit. Um, as long as she hasn't completely slowed down over the last two years that she's been outside of the cage. And uh, as long as I believe she was dealing with a knee injury during that time, as long as that doesn't have a significant impact on her performance here, she should go out there and have a classic Holly Holm performance. Ketlin Vieira, just not that good in my opinion. Uh, again, a lot of her success, like I said, comes from the pocket exchanges. She's not going to get much of that, if any, of that in this matchup. So give me Holly Holm. Holly Holm by decision seems to be the easiest way to play this fight. Does that change your perspective at all in terms of breaking this one down? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it, it's it's kind of what I was expecting. And yeah, it does make a ton of sense. And I will say, right, if you look at the odds for this fight, what what, what is Holly Holmes' money line right now? Like, like 250. Minus 250, right? minus 250. Generally, five-round underdogs in this spot have been very poor for DraftKings return on investment, right? Any any fi Even a five-round fighter, five-round fighters in particular at you know plus 170 or higher, haven't been that great as a return. So, uh, you know, it is tough. It's a tough matchup here. I guess really what what I'm saying here is advice if you're playing DraftKings for the slate is for this particular fight, figure out if home wins, how does she end up in the optimal lineup? What does that mean for Almeida? What does it mean for Holmes, her, her personal performance? And then if we're wrong, and believe me, I'm wrong very often, and Vieira somehow wins this fight, what does that mean? For DraftKings lineup. So th that that's my key takeaway here. And hopefully I've tried to impart that uh, throughout the entire show is, you know, we can predict what's going to happen. We can try to predict, but crazy things happen all the time. And just, just think about scenarios in your head as you're building your lineups. My brother, the, the live chat is eating up your knowledge. So they greatly appreciate it. I greatly appreciate all the knowledge you've been dropping on us as well. Uh, you'll definitely be a regular on the show. I truly appreciate all the uh, all the knowledge that you've dropped on us so far. So uh, just on the back end of this thing, I'll, I'll give you the platform actually in terms of uh, uh, plugging anything that you'd like to plug, anything that you'd like the viewers to know about. Yeah, I had a fantastic time on the show. I would love to be back. Uh, this, was, this was a great experience. Uh, I'm glad everyone out there enjoyed as well. So yeah, you can find me on Twitter at BrianJesterFF. I co-founded Occupy Fantasy. Basically, our goal with Occupy Fantasy is to teach people to play DFS the right way. There are so many places you can get information on DFS. You can get projections anywhere. Our goal is to teach you how to play contests the right way, which contests to pick, how to manage your money. And then most importantly, a lot of the stuff that I've been talking about here is how to build your lineups the proper way to win the contest that you're entering. And you don't get that last part very often. So that's what we try to focus on. And uh, yeah, in the last couple of years, I've had tremendous success, unexpected success in MMA. But 
I, I've been obsessive about it and I put in so much work to it. So I, I think you'll enjoy, particularly for those who are watching this show, our MMA DFS work. Uh, and uh, our writer, Jake, who owns MMADFS.com, writes our daily plug. And really every week what you do is you come in, you get his top plays, you get how to build your lineups, projected ownership, literally everything you need in one spot to play UFC DFS on FanDuel or DraftKings. So I encourage you to check it out. And uh, yeah, we're happy to have anyone on board. Shout out to my guy, Philip Frank here. It's like, if I don't win 100K tomorrow, I'll spam hate <laughs> mail at both of you. There you guys go right there. Got to get it done the first time you jump on with anybody, right? You got to yeah, get it, it done. Because if not, they cancel if they don't. So <laughs> Exactly. Because you suck then. You suck. Yeah. It doesn't matter that you won $2 million in the past. You suck. That's yeah, exactly. That's 100% how it works. One thing I did actually fail to touch on before we get on out of here is actually uh, our lock of the night player, our most confident play on the card. We can get it from a betting and DraftKings perspective for both you, or from you, sorry. Um, but for myself, uh, I'm going with the under two and a half in the Morales and Ruosh Medic fight. Minus 165 is what I get, or minus 164 is the number that I got. I love that play. I love violence plays, and this one just screams violence to me. Uh, Davey Grant and Louis, Louis Smoka last week was the one for me. It got a little bit hairy with it reaching the third <laughs> round. Luckily, Davey Grant goes out there and finds Thor's hammer and just strikes down uh, Louis Smoka and gets the win there. So that hit, I'm hoping Ruosh Medic doesn't make us sweat that much and either gets to finish early here or it gets finished himself uh by uh, uh omar morales uh, what were what are the spots that you like the most what's your lock of the night player your most confident play on the card for sure so I, i'm not gonna give a betting play I, i'll let uh, okay. you're the expert there i'll let you give it <laughs> for for the DraftKings players my most confident play for tournaments right you're looking to get different you're looking to play guys that others aren't it's park park his upside does not match his ownership we, i hit on that when we when we broke down that fight go back and rewind if you haven't listened to it but his upside our model loves the spot for him and the field is not picking up on it they're going to be enamored with holly home going to be enamored with almeida uh joseph holmes chidi so they're overlooking park and his his massive upside in this spot remember DraftKings had to change their scoring system because of this guy in his last performance so uh, let's let's get a repeat of that, and uh, that's my conviction play for, for drafting tournaments. I love it. I love it, Brian. Coming with some conviction as well. That's what I always appreciate with some of these guests, and you have all of the conviction. All right. Uh, you guys already know where to find my guy, Brian. Make sure you guys follow him on Twitter, though, for sure. Link is in the description below. Just click that, hit that follow, and I promise you'll get much more uh, informative and insightful tweets from my guy, Brian. Uh, so show him some love. Uh, and for myself, I'll be back tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern, for the Fight Day live chat. Take it all last minute questions, comments, and concerns for the upcoming card from a betting perspective. But if you guys want DFS shit, hit my guy Brian up. He'll help you out tomorrow. But uh, early card tomorrow, 4 p.m. Eastern. So don't get caught napping. 4 p.m. Eastern prelim time, 7 p.m. Eastern main card time, 11 fights to go through. So make sure you guys, like I said, don't get caught napping. I love these early cards. You're an East Coaster, right, Brian? Oh, dude, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's miserable when it's like 2 a.m. and I'm, I'm sweating. Right. Hard. Yeah. I, I'm, right. From, from a from a, a building lineups perspective, it kind of sucks getting up earlier and doing it. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather have all day. But, uh, you know, if we're going to sweat it out later and watch the fights, then please get I saw, before midnight. I, I saw the, the Charles Oliveira one that you had where you're just trying to stay <laughs> quiet but fucking lose your mind for cash in 200K that day. Yeah, my fiance is sleeping upstairs. And I'm just trying to be as quiet <laughs> as possible to, to cheer for that. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I, hey, if that was me, I would have been yelling at the top of my lungs. I'd be like, hey, shh. You you quiet up there. You quiet. You don't know what's going on down here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome, awesome. Uh, again, Brian, appreciate you taking the time this uh, Friday afternoon to join me to break down the card. Appreciate everybody that watched the stream as well. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe. Follow my guy, Brian. Show him all the love. I will see you guys tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern Fight Day live chat right here. Let's fucking go. Earl Schmedich, you're going down. Under two and a half, you're cashing. Omar Fade Morales, Alaska. 
Fade Alaska FC. If you've taken anything from this uh, from this podcast, that's what you should take away. Love you guys. Catch you guys tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern.